Hi to someone that they know, all that kind of stuff. Morning, everybody. How you all doing? You all right? Enjoying the sun? All that kind of stuff. It's weird, isn't it? Kind of cold air, but hot sun. So, I'm Phil, uh, in case you've not met me. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2 this morning. Fully human and fully God. Um, so this chapter 2, there's a lot in here. Luke, he, he, he's the only one that talks about Jesus' uh, childhood. And he covers 12 years in this one chapter. So what does he choose to highlight? What does he choose to tell the most excellent Theophilus who this letter is to? Well, he, um, if you go to slide two, there's, there's three stories in this chapter. One's his birth, obviously. One's his dedication, where Simeon and Anna prophesy about him. And then there it is. And then the third one is his trip to the temple when he was 12. Okay. And the main thing that comes out of all of these stories is something called the hypostatic union. Have you heard that phrase before? I think Matt mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. Hypostatic union. It's a good word. It's a good word for us to learn. And it basically means that Jesus is fully human and also fully God. And it kind of makes your brain hurt a little bit trying to work that out. But don't worry too much because the theologians for 2,000 years have been trying to make this work with the language that we have. And this is the best way that we can come up with a way of, of describing. He wasn't like uh, uh, Hercules who was half man and half God. He's fully human and he's fully God. He was born, he became incarnate, he was in Mary's body and was, was born. He was fully human. So when we say that um, God understands what it's like to be human, it's, because, it's not because he understands about humanity, it's because he was a human. So we're going to look at those three stories this morning, and the first one we're going to look at, obviously, is his birth. So if you go to the next slide, um, and I put two little uh, kind of subtitles, subheadings in there. Um, and it's interesting to look at the, the, the story of the, the Christmas story, not at Christmas, because what can happen is, is it, comes, it comes with a lot of stuff, you know, when, when we're doing Christmas, and as far as I'm aware, the Christmas story that we tell, that all the teachers and the children in their nativity plays tell, is about Jesus uh, uh, being... So Mary's got Jesus in her tummy, and it's late at night, and she gets to Bethlehem. Oh, my gosh, the baby's going to arrive. We've got to find an, a, a place to stay. And all the hotels or the inns or whatever they are at that time are full. So what do they do? They find a, uh, they find a, a lowly cattle shed. Find her in a lowly cattle shed, right? They, they have the baby in a barn, basically, with all the animals around. And this is the the kind of the story that we have. It's so ingrained in our culture that it becomes a bit like a myth and not like a real story. So we're going to have a little look at this this morning and see how we can look at this in a different way. And, and most of this first section comes from a very good book by um, Kenneth, where is he? Kenneth Bailey, basically, called Middle, it's called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. It's a very good book and I'd really recommend it. Um, so, let's read, shall we? So, slide four, we'll go to Luke 2, there should be the reading there. There we go, 1 to 7. Here we go. 
In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and all went to be enrolled, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is now called, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to be delivered. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. For there was no place for them in the inn. Wow. Praise God, right? So, firstly, let's have a look at this uh, story from the root text rather than these stories that have kind of grown up over the years. Okay, so verse 4, it says, Joseph would belonged to the house and the line of David. So his ancestors were from Bethlehem. And in that, in that world, at that time in Palestine, if you turned up to Bethlehem and said, Hi, I, I'm Joseph. I'm the son of Heli. He's the son of Matat. He's the son of Levi. You would have found most homes open to you. It's a very hospitable culture, um, that culture, especially back then when, when there were... Um, when they were, there were, there were just rural vi villages, basically. And also, any, women, any woman in any culture is given a place of honor when they have a baby. They're looked after, they're cared for. So why, why, why is it different in, in the case of Jesus? Why are they in this cattle shed? Um, also, Mary, as we heard last week, uh, a couple of months before, had been to visit Elizabeth, her cousin, right? Who literally was down the road. So if they couldn't find any place for the inn, why... Why did they not go and get some help from, from her cousin? Well, she could walk another step, right? She's about to give birth. That, that's the story, right? Well, verse 6 says different. Verse 6 says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. So the idea that, that Jesus was, was, you know, that Mary was in labor just as the family arrived, it's just, it's not true. They were there already. They were in the village already. Who knows how long they've been there? Maybe a couple of weeks. We're not sure. But basically, it's so ingrained in our culture that that's the story. You know, there's a, there's a, they knock at the door and the innkeeper, Evan, my, my second son, was saying to me, he was, he was the innkeeper, you know, saying, no, there's no room. You know, that was his favorite bit that he had to do when he was in the play. Um, and where it comes from is, is what um, Kenneth Bailey is saying. There, there's this novel from the second century called the... It's called The Protovangelium of James. You can look it up if you want to. But basically, it's a novel that dramatizes the birth of Jesus and adds lots of things. Excuse me. While, um, uh, it, so like Jesus turning up late at night and not having anywhere to stay. It's just not true. He was there already. So then we'll go to verse 7. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. So when we read this, so the important thing to remember is book is is for us very much for us this gospel is for everybody but it wasn't written to us it was written to a first century Jew so we need to have a look at the context there first before we go to what does it mean for us right so for us when we hear that what what comes to mind is a is a rural scene a nice barn with some cows maybe a couple of sheep and and a and a manger with with the straw, and that's where, that's where Jesus went, right? Well, that's not what Theophilus would have thought when he read this story. For him, something very different comes to mind. So if we go to the next slide, this is, 
I've got, I've got a, um, here we go. So this is a first century Palestinian house, okay? One room, basically, is what they had. If, you, if you're a villager and you, live, you lived in Bethlehem, this is what you'd have. And, and because they're in the hill country, there would be a slope, some kind of slope. So you put the animals at the bottom there, and you bring them in. At the end of each day, you'd bring your animals in. There's your central heating for the night. And then there's the family room. And look, there's the mangers that were up on the, on the top, a bit like, possibly a bit like us down there, and he can reach, so he can reach the straw. There you go. That's what would have come to mind. A very different picture. So suddenly we're looking at this in a different way. Jesus was in a family room when he was born. So what about the next book? What about that there was no room for them at the inn? How do we, how do we look at that, that place, about that verse? Well, the Greek word used here is called, it, 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 it's a word typos, which I'm sure Gem and Susie would be able to help us with if they were, if they were here. They're learning Greek, aren't they? So the word typos, it actually means room as in, as in there's, there's room here for my, for my drink. It doesn't mean room as in bedroom. That's a different a different Greek word. And then a room for inn, it's actually, the Greek word for an inn in this verse, he uses katalima, which is not the usual word for a guest house or a hotel. That word is, is um, pandachian. And we know this because if you look at um, the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable where Jesus tells about the Good Samaritan helping that guy who's hurt. And what he does is he picks him up and he takes him to a pandachian to be looked after. And that's not the word used here. It's a different word, katalima. And that word, so we look for that in the gospel. This is what this guy does. And, and that word is used actually by Jesus. And it's when, when Jesus gets, do you remember when he goes to um, Jerusalem for the Passover and he tells his disciples to go ahead and find a room for them to have um, their last supper? He says, he, uh, he tells his disciples to say, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I am to eat the Passover with my disciples? And, and that word there is used, Catalima. So Catalima is a guest room. So if we go to the next slide, here we go. So this is what it would have been. There's the family room, and there's the guest room. So each house at that time had a, had a, had a main family room, and they had a guest room. So actually now... That verse 4 reads completely differently, right? It reads, Jesus was born in the family room because, because the guest room was full, presumably because the, the census was on. And it's just great to, to look at this in a new light because suddenly it, starts to, it, it stops being a fairy tale or just a nice story that we tell at Christmas to make ourselves feel better. And it becomes real. It's, it's real, right? This is, a, this is what the house would have looked like. It becomes historical. Jesus really existed. Jesus really was born. Jesus really did come out of Mary's womb. I don't know if you guys have been at a birth, but it, it, it's not a pretty sight <laughs> when a baby is born. It's full of screaming and, and fluids of all different types, right? That's what Jesus would have gone through. He, he really existed. He came. It blows my mind, right? We have to remember that this guy was actually a human being. And he was born into a world that was tough. It was rural. He would have fallen over and scraped his knees when he was a kid. 
You know, he knew what it was like to be hungry, all those kinds of things. And there would have been cows and, and sheep there, but only in the evenings, because that's when they were brought into the house. We need to know this, this truth, because then it becomes truth and not fairy tale. Then you can be sure of the truth of Jesus in this world. It's, it's just great to, to look at that. And then, of course, that makes per- much more sense when, when the angels tell of the coming of Jesus to the, sh- to the shepherds. In verse 11 and 12 of Luke 2, they say, Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born, and this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Oh, okay, think the shepherds. It's just a regular house like what we know. It's not some palace or, or something like that. They're obviously looking after this, this baby very well. And anyway, if the, if, if, I reckon if the shepherds had turned up and found Jesus in a in a barn or some kind of cave in the, in the back end of nowhere. They would have taken them home. It's like, no way you're staying here. You come home with us and be looked after properly. Fantastic stuff. And it just made me think of Hebrews 4, where it says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. We, we have a, a God sitting right now, right now, up there on a throne in heaven who knows what it's like to be a human, actually knows what it's like to be a human being. And we can talk to him. We can talk to him today. I hope we'll, we'll have a chance to do that later. We can talk to that Jesus who was born as a human, fully human and fully God. So before we move on to the next story, next slide, please. There's just one question to uh, challenge you with. Where's Jesus? If that house is your house, right, is Jesus in your family room? With all that's going on, or have you stuck him in the guest room? Something to think about. So let's move on to his dedication. Time goes fast, doesn't it? Right, we'll probably go through this one quite quickly and then, and then major mainly on the second one. But his dedication is another example of Luke um, telling us how Jesus is fully God and fully human. So, what did Simeon and Anna do? They prophesied. They prophesied over, over this baby, this baby Jesus. And they said, Simeon says, my eyes have seen your salvation. He recognized, he recognized that this was no ordinary baby. He recognized the spirit came on him and he recognized that this was the son of God, 100% God. And yet within that text, he's also very human. And uh, in verse, uh, where does it say? I can't remember, can't find the verse now, but it talks about Mary and Joseph sacrificing two turtle doves. Okay, that's very significant. There's no, th- 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 he didn't just put that in for, for good measure. So whenever a baby's born in that culture, I think it's just men, but uh, correct me if, if I'm wrong afterwards. I think it's just boys. They, 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 they have to be circumcised. Sorry, I know that bit is just boys. They have to be circumcised on eight days, but they, they also have to um, bring a sacrifice of a lamb. And it says in Leviticus, Leviticus 12, it says on the eighth day, you, 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 you sacrifice a lamb. But if you can't afford a lamb, then you get 
two pigeons or two turtle doves. So this is Luke, again, saying it's just a regular family. They're really not very rich. They can only manage a couple of pigeons. Comes from very lowly family status. So slide nine, uh, next slides. A question before we move on to the next, the next bit. Have you recognized that Jesus is the Messiah? Have you, like Anna and Simeon, thought about the fact that this is not just a baby being circumcised and dedicated? He's actually the Son of God. Maybe it's a chance to do that this morning. And then we go on to the third story, where we'll sit for a bit. His father's house. So this story is about when Jesus goes up to Jerusalem with his family. And um, let's read it, shall we? So we go to, it should be up there, there we go. Chap, uh, verse 41. Jesus' parents used to go to Jerusalem every year for the Passover festival. And when he was 12, they went up as usual to the festival. When the, festival, when the feast days were over, they began to journey back. But the boy Jesus remained in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know. They thought he was in the traveling party. And when a day's journey, and they went a day's journey before looking for him amongst their relatives and friends. When they could not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And so it happened that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was astonished at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were quite overwhelmed. Child, said his mother, why did you do this to us? Look, your father and I have been in a terrible state looking for you. Why are you looking for me? He said, didn't you know I would have to be getting involved with my father's work? They didn't understand what he'd said to them. He went down with them and he came to Nazareth and lived in obedience to them. And his mother kept all these things in her heart. Wow. Amazing. Uh, I don't know if I've done a little map. Is there a map coming up? There we go. Thank you. So I did a little, I did a little Google, Google search. So to get from, Gal so, sorry, from Nazareth in Galilee up to Jerusalem, it's 90 miles. And they did that every year. They used to go every year up to it. So that's 12 years. He's done it 12 times already. I'm sure they, they probably knew the route by then. And it's quite a climb as well. It's, it's an elevation of about 850 meters. So that's a good kind of uh, Lake District mountain. It would have done a lot of walking in those days. And, it w and the text tells us that they didn't go by themselves. So how come his parents didn't know about Jesus not being with them? Well, it's a bit like me being in church and not knowing where my kid, kids are. They're with the other kids, right? I'm sure Jesus would have been with his mates, certainly on the journey up. And then they just come back when they're hungry, right? Or when they're ready to go to sleep. Um, and it's just a reminder that this culture was very, very community orientated. And that's just a, re that's a really good thing to just ponder on for a moment and think about that's that's good for us too it's really good to be in community which is what we're doing right now we're in community and I think we forget how special that is especially in London especially in a in a world that's increasingly online to actually meet and have community with people is very powerful and and, and there's a lot of we've got so much to offer 
the world in a counter-cultural sense. I think we need to remember that and draw people in. John 13, 34, it says, People will know that we are Jesus' disciples by the love that we have for one another. Never forget that. It's also interesting to remember that, that Mary and Joseph would have had other kids as well as Jesus, right? He was the oldest. But it, it talks about him having brothers and sisters. So he would have had their hands full. I imagine. I mean, I don't know how many of them had been born by the time Jesus was tw 12, but they would have had their hands full. Just another example of his being a human. I don't think it was unusual for them to not notice he was gone until, until the first night. Um, and uh, I do like Mary's response. Why have you treated us like this? Or as um, I was, uh, uh, the, the message translation says it very well. It says, it says, young man, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. Can you imagine? Uh, it's just, I find it very, uh, very encouraging that Mary and Joseph shouted at Jesus. <laughs> as a parent who sometimes loses his temper with his children and shouts at his children, it's okay. Even Mary and Joseph did it to Jesus. Also, I was chatting with Izzy last week, Izzy Shepherd, and we were laughing and saying, can you imagine Mary and Joseph, like, end of the day after that first day? <gasps> We've lost the Son of God. <laughs> what are we going to do? Obviously, they didn't know he was the Son of God at that time because they, weren't, they hadn't, hadn't been revealed to them. But it's quite a funny thought to think about. Um, yeah, they just reacted like normal parents, right? Their relief came out as anger, uh, 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 yeah, anger, like, what have you done to us? We were worried sick. So basically, they, they traveled a day, found out he was missing, took them a day to get back, right? And a day, it says, it took, it says it, they, they couldn't find him for another day. So that's three days he, he was missing for. Interesting parallel there with three days that he went missing later on in Luke. And what was Jesus doing? Well, verse 46 and 47. He was listening to the teachers and asking them questions. So I remember at school, uh, I wasn't great at school. I was okay at school. I wasn't great. There's this one kid called Sarah. Um, she was always asking questions. And whenever she started to ask a question, um, we would all kind of go, oh, here she goes. You know. But actually, the way that she asked the question, it, it made the teacher kind of go, oh, yeah, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure. And you suddenly realize that, that her questioning was, was a sign of, of her intelligence. And, of course, she was the cleverest kid in the class by far. So Jesus is there asking questions, talking to much older, wiser people to him. And yet he had, he had wisdom beyond his years, right? And he must have come across as humble because he's asking them questions and he's learning. And, and why, is he asking them, why is he asking them questions? What's he, what do you think he's learning about? He's learning who he is. He's learning where he came from. He's learning about his father God from, from, from the Old Testament. He's literally finding out about his dad. He's finding out all about who he is. All of those passages that we refer to in the Old Testament that refer to, um, to Jesus, he's reading those. It, it must have been, yeah, it's kind of hard to get your head around. Again, fully man fully God. And what's his reaction when they find him? Well, why were you searching for you? Didn't you know you had to be, I had to be in my father's house. I had to be in my father's house. It's not I wanted to be in my father's house. 
is I had to be. And in other translations, they, they say, I had to be about my father's business. That's another way of, of saying it. And there's a little bit of tension between, there's, there's, a, there's a, a Greek word, which is the plural. So some people say, well, there's only one house of God, so how can you be in houses? So it's better translations to say, I had to be about my father's business. But one thing is clear, he had to be close to his father. Because he's the son of God, because he's part of the Trinity. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're so closely linked. Even at this stage in his, in his life, they're so closely linked. And he goes and he tells them later, I mean, in, in John uh, 5, 19, he says, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. They are they're inextricably linked, the Father and the Son. They have, they have to be like that. And Jesus is aware of that. Jesus is aware that he cannot do anything without God, anything at all. Um, John 14 and 15, go into this a bit more. There's an, the next slide. When, um, when Philip questions him, Philip says, just show us the Father, Jesus. Show us the Father. And that will be good enough for us. And, of course, he tells them, you don't, you don't, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because we are one. Can't do anything apart from each other. Anyone who's seen Jesus has seen the Father. They are both one in the same. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say are not on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. So again, that refers back to him. Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? about the things of my father's business. I pray that could be said of all of us if someone was to write a, a story about our lives. Didn't you know it had to be about his heavenly father's business? So as we bring it into close, into land, as it were, how do we connect these, these three stories? Well, the theme running through is fully human and fully God. So I'll put those three questions up together. Is Jesus in your family room? Have you recognized that he's the Messiah? And are you spending time in your father's house? Now, obviously, we don't have a temple anymore. Once Jesus died on that cross, it means that we can approach God with confidence that our sins are forgiven. And we, as a, as a people, we are the temple of God. So it's a bit different now. But it's important to spend time in God. Well, you know, our, our, our lives, on the whole, are, are quite repetitive. Um, and we do the same things during the week, Monday to Friday. We can do the same things. It can feel a bit mundane sometimes. But if we include God in that, if we include God's Holy Spirit in, in those moments then they become extraordinary. We're, we're just very ordinary people, right? It said when we were um, not many, what is it in Corinthians? It says, um, hang on. Yeah, that's the one. I've got it here. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of us were wise by human standards, not many influential or of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world 
and the despised things and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Amen. Yeah. So we can, as ordinary people, have extraordinary moments when we include the Holy Spirit in our lives. In the same way that that very ordinary birth, in the sense of the birthing moment of, of Mary, it becomes extraordinary with the angels, when, when the angels sang over him. And this week, if we finish with... So Romans 13 has a great, a great passage on this. And again, the, I find the message version so helpful um this is this is what you guys can do this week right as you're cycling to work or as you're in your garden or as you're sitting at, at work or whatever you're doing this is what he says this is what paul says in romans 13 so here's what i want you to do god helping you take your everyday ordinary life you're sleeping eating going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Though it becomes so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. So why don't the band come up and I'm going to pray as we finish. And we're going to worship this God, this God who is fully human and fully God. I just, I just hope you, you, you're grasping some of the humanity of Jesus this morning. The fact that he really did live on this, on this earth. He really was incarnate at the same time as being fully God. So why don't we stand? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for speaking to us about your, your humanity. I thank you that we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize, empathize with us. He was born as a man, and yet he did not sin. So we want to approach your, your throne now, your throne of grace with confidence Lord God, we ask for your blessing. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come. Lord God, help us to live out our lives with you in our family room, with you at the center. When we go out to work today, Lord God, we pray that let's, for example, let's leave a chair empty and imagine that Jesus is in that room with us. Or when you're in the car and one of the seats is not sat in, let's remember that Jesus is with us in that seat. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Oh, God. Yeah. Lord Jesus. And if anyone here has um, put Jesus in that spare room, this is a chance to, to bring him back into the center. Lord God, I pray for that too. Pray if anyone needs to remember the centrality of, of Jesus in everything we do. He's the only way that we can... Um, make our very ordinary mundane lives extraordinary because we're including God in them. God at the center, Jesus at the center of our lives. That's what makes our lives extraordinary. That's what means we're going to see Jesus when we get to heaven. That's what gives us joy. That's what gives us peace. That's what gives us hope. 
in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hard times, to know that Jesus is in our family room, in the center of our hearts. That's what will give us hope. So I pray that. I pray that we can respond like that. Respond this morning to your word. Let's worship. Fully God and fully man. Well, it sounds a bit cliche to say that we worship a God who can like fully relate to us, that knows our experiences. And I thought it was so, like, in the true sense of the word, awesome. family we went on trips family trips 